Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. Uh, good to have you guys here this morning. Hey, Mama, how are you? I just saw you walk through the door there. Mama, you late this morning. Mama, come on now. Now, good to see you, Mama. Love you. Hey, Pastor David, come here. Hey, don't you love your son being the pastor? Hey, look, David, come here. Uh, listen, we got a confession to make. This past week, we did a little staff retreat here locally, and we decided that among the many activities we did in between our sessions, we were going to um, show off for the wives and take them axe throwing. You know, this is, we're, we're men. Surely we could throw an axe and hit wood. And our wives would sit there with the look of amazement and joy and the studs they married. And uh, we were destroyed by our women. Uh, li listen, it wasn't even close. Laura, David's wife, who is one of the sweetest, kindest, look, look that lady there, weighs about 70 pounds soaking wet. Her third throw ever, she hits a bullseye. My wife hits a bull. Yeah, it's, it, was, it was unbelievable. We're convinced they don't even have jobs. They just spend all day throwing axes, and we had no idea, which was terrifying. So we come to you today as we preach and as we lead today, very humbled by the fact that our wives destroyed us. Anyway, thanks, David, for sharing in that. Hey, no, we are excited to continue in our, our Hope is Alive series with you today. Uh, we go from Ezekiel and a Babylonian refugee camp last week to King Nebuchadnezzar's palace this week, where we are introduced to three Hebrew teenagers by the name of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, what's amazing about their story is they too, like Ezekiel, were exiled, were taken from their home and forced to live in Babylon, here are these teenagers at Nebuchadnezzar's palace. Now, if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Daniel chapter 3. And as you turn there, I want us to talk about the challenge today. Last week, we were reminded hope is alive even in the valley of dry bones, like we saw with Ezekiel. But this week's challenge is simple. Because hope is alive, church, we must stand. Because hope is alive as a church, as a body of believers, we must stand. Let's take a look at Daniel chapter 3, and we're going to begin in verse 1. And here's what the Bible says. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high, 6 cubits wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Hey, let's just stop here just for a moment. Let's talk about this image. Now, this is an image of gold, probably not solid gold, but plated gold as we see in other places in the Old Testament. But it's a pretty stout image. By its very dimensions here that we see in Daniel chapter 3, verse 1, it's in the form in the shape of an obelisk, right? What we know, the Washington Monument in Washington, D.C. It's in that very type of shape. And talk about an imposing statue. Uh, the Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar put it in the plain of Dura. Now, the word Dura means the walked place. And so what we know is he scouted out the flattest land that was unobstructed by terrain or by hills, the flattest land in his capital, to set up his image so this, you ready? That everybody who was anybody, everybody who was around, no matter the time of day, could see that image. And imagine how it would look as the sun would dance off of that gold. What an imposing image. 
Now, many scholars believe, and I would agree, that what we see King Nebuchadnezzar doing in Daniel chapter 3 is he is attempting to deify himself. He is attempting to bring all the religions in his empire under one unifying religious figure, himself. He was making himself to be a god. Now, if you don't believe me, let's go on and let's read in verse 2. Watch what takes place. He then summoned all the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. And so all of those leaders did just that. They assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up and stood before it. Look at verse number 4. Here's where it gets a little crazy. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you're commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn and the flute and the zither and the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, in a sense, hey, when you hear the band strike up, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship, watch this, will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. And you know what happens right next? Well, the band strikes up, they begin to play, and an entire world before Nebuchadnezzar and his image fall down, bow down, and worship the image that he had set up. Let me ask you something. Does this scene sound familiar? Haven't we seen this scene play out more recently than Daniel chapter 3? Doesn't it sound and seem all too familiar to us? Perhaps maybe a picture of exactly what our culture looks like today. Now, of course, the image set up before our culture is not that of a king, but it's of a different image. It really is a mirror of ourselves. Oh, the image is not of a king. It's simply a mirror, a mirror of ourself as a culture. It's the idolatry of selfishness that we talked about last week, which professes, you ready? I am the God of my life. My happiness matters the most. There is no absolute truth, only my truth. And by the way, that truth not, never contradicts me or my actions, my feelings. It's an image before our culture, not of a king but of the very God of self that so many of our culture bow down to. And you know, as I read Daniel chapter 3, I see a world that continues to bow down to the image of self, even to this very day. But hey, listen, but there's a problem that comes on the scene as the whole world bows down. There's some troublemakers that are mingled into the crowd. Hey, I'm going to tell you something. I, I just love it when in Scripture we find some good, godly troublemakers. And you know what? Our culture, our country, our communities need some really good, godly troublemakers. Look what happens as the astrologers come back. After the first time the band plays, the world bows down. Some astrologers have some troubling information to bring to King Nebuchadnezzar. Look at verse 12. Oh, King, there's some Jews whom you set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. 
Can you see them? Three Hebrew troublemakers, three Hebrew teenagers who refused to bow with the rest of the world to Nebuchadnezzar's image. Now, let me, let me tell you something really unique about these three young men. You ready? They were stand-up men in a bow-down world. They were stand-up men in a bow-down world. And I'm going to tell you, if we need anything in our culture, in our community, in our country, in our world today, is we need stand-up men, stand-up women, stand-up teenagers, stand-up children, stand-up families in a bow-down world. And that's exactly what we find here in Daniel chapter 3. Now, note this. This was not some simple act of civil obedience on behalf of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In fact, this action, their stand, was punishable by death. This was more than just virtue signaling by these three guys. I'm going to tell you what I'm certain of. Although Scripture doesn't let us in on it, our own human nature does. I am certain that these three Hebrew teenage boys, these stand-up men in a bow-down world, were filled with fear. Without question. They knew the end game of their action. And yet, they feared God more. I'm reminded of John Wayne in a quote he once said about courage. He says this, that courage doesn't mean that you're not scared to death. It means this, saddling up anyway. Hey, courage is not just being scared to death. It means saddling up anyway when you are scared to death. And when I look at Daniel chapter 3, and I look at these young men, I see young men who are scared to death, but because they love God and because they love His Word, they saddle up anyway. They saddle up anyway. You know, I think of these stand-up men in a bow-down world. And I look at this scene in Daniel chapter 3 play out. And here's a question that I have. Why did they bow? Why did they, why did they decide that day, you know what? I'm not going to bow to a king. I'm not going to bow to this image of gold. Why didn't they just bow in order to live another day? To fight again another day? And here's the conclusion I came to. You ready? The God they loved, his word that they followed, simply would not allow them to bow that day. Listen, that's as simple as it comes. Why did they just go along with everybody? Why did they live to fight another day? Because the word of God simply would not allow it. They would have considered the very Ten Commandments of God, what they had been taught since they were young, and was alive and well in their heart out of Exodus chapter 20. Look at this command of God, spoken by God himself. You ready? Exodus 20, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth below or in the waters below it. And watch this, you shall not bow down to them and worship them. You know what's amazing about these three young men? These stand-up men in a bow-down world, they knew God's word, and they stood on God's word. 
Hey, you ready? For you and I to be stand-up men, women, teenagers, children, families in a bow-down world, we must know and we must stand upon the very Word of God. Those three Hebrew teenagers did not compromise the timeless truth of God's Word for the shifting sands of the culture around them. They didn't try to water down God's Word by making excuses for it, apologizing for it, or trying to change it. Hey, believer, can I remind you of something? You and I, we are not tasked by Christ with compromise. We are not to water down the Word of God to make it more palatable for culture. Rather, we must unleash the Word of God to save our culture. A.W. Tozer once said this, One compromise here, another there, and soon enough the so-called Christian and the man in the world look the same. Hey, we live in a culture, in fact at times a church culture, that is uncomfortable with the truth of God's Word, with the teaching of Christianity. Let me give you one example. That Jesus is the only way to the Father and that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Such exclusivity of a message can be offensive to those who don't believe that to be true. Maybe to those who don't believe in God, who don't believe in Jesus, who don't believe in the Bible. But I want you to hear me. Jesus said this in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life that no man comes unto the Father except through me. You ready? Jesus said it. The Bible teaches it. I believe it. Jesus said it. The Bible teaches it. I believe it. And I may be simple in that truth, but that is, that is the very foundation of truth that I have in my life. And I'm going to tell you, I cannot as a believer, and I will not as a believer, bow down to a culture that is offended by everything. The truth is, is that Jesus is the only way to the Father. Jesus is the only way to heaven. It is a truth I cannot compromise, and I will work until the last breath to make sure truth that everybody can hear and know through the gospel. Let me share with you this thought. You ready, church? If you stand for nothing, you will fall for anything. Church, if, if we stand for nothing, we will fall for anything. In Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they stood because they were unwilling to bow and to fall. Before the king. Now, you might say this, Pastor Anthony, listen. What happened in Daniel chapter 3 doesn't happen today. Never would I bow before an image. Never would I bow before culture. I, I just wouldn't do it. You ready? Anytime a Christian compromises truth, cowers in the face of pressure, or caves to the immorality of the culture around us, we bow with the rest of the world. And the question this morning, believer, hey, hey, what are we bowing to? What is it that you're bowing to in culture today? What areas of your life are you compromising the truth of God for the convenience of fitting into culture? You see, for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they would not bow 
and they did not bend. Look at verse 13. Watch what the Bible says here. They're furious with rage. Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I've set up? Verse 15, the second chance is given. Now when you hear the sound of the horn and the flute and the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Oh, King Nebuchadnezzar just didn't know it. Second chance by the king. They, they didn't need it. And watch this. And note this in verse 13. Watch, you ready? The Bible says that King Nebuchadnezzar was furious with rage. Furious with rage. Why are you so mad, bro? Why, why, why are you so upset? You have the entire world bowing down. Who are these three? I mean, this guy's madder than your husband with road rage, right? This is a fury. That's pretty awful here. And I ask the question, why are you so mad? And then you realize this, that when you are the God of your life, like Nebuchadnezzar was, anyone who does not agree with you, Anyone who doesn't do as you wish, anyone who doesn't condone everything you do, who doesn't exist to make you happy or to perpetuate your power, they become an enemy that must be destroyed. And so the king uses tactics of fear, threats of violence, talk of intimidation. Hey, by the way, those are always the tactics of those with the weaker argument. Nonetheless, he uses these tactics to get Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to bend their knee and to bend their will to the king's wishes and his demands. Now, the king had a lot tied up in these three Hebrew teenagers. He had a lot invested in them. In fact, the Bible teaches us in Daniel chapter 1 that when they were exiled from their home, when they were brought into the palace, the king ordered his officials, as the Bible says, to teach them the language and the literature of Babylon. In Daniel chapter 1, verse 6, he goes as far as to change their very names. Now we know this, before they were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were Hananiah, whose name means that God is gracious. They were Mishael. It reminds us that there is no God but our God by his name. There was Azariah, whose name in our God is our help. But the Babylonians took their very names that were to the honor and the glory of the one true God and changed them to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in honor of their false Babylonian gods. This was an outright attack on who these three teenage Hebrew boys were. The Babylonians forced their language on them their religious literature on them, and even attempted to force them to change their identities by changing their names. And yet, as we continue to see Daniel chapter 3 unfold, rather than compromise and cower, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego showed the courage of their conviction. And reminder, you ready? Courage is not the absence of fear, but the willingness to act despite of fear, and act they did. They did not bend. They did not cower. Listen to their words. Go to verse 16 with me. 
The Bible says this, that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he doesn't, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. They would not bow. They would not bend. It reminds me of Peter and the apostles in Acts chapter 5, verse 28 and 29. In the very face of persecution, here's what they said to their persecutors. We must obey God rather than men. You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were saying, we must obey God rather than you, O king. Let me ask you this, you ready? Church, are we defining, I'm not talking about this building, I'm not talking about collectively, in your individual life, are you defined by courage or are you defined by cowering to culture, catering to culture, compromising to culture? The great Martin Luther King Jr. once said this, the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. And I look in Daniel chapter 3, and I see stand-up men and a bow-down world who stood in a moment of challenge and of controversy, stood on the very Word of God. When the rest of the world Bow down. Church, you ready? They did not bow. They would not bend. And catch this. They did not burn. They did not burn. Why? Because hope is alive even in an old fiery furnace. Look at verse 22. The king's command was so urgent. Hey, guys, in the preceding chapters, the king was so mad at what they said. The Bible says that his face turned against them. Meaning, listen, every bit of grace he tried to offer in that moment just moments ago, man, was gone. Now he wanted them destroyed. He wanted them dead. So much so that he ordered his officials, the guards, to heat the furnace seven times hotter than what it was. The king's command was so urgent, the Bible says, and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. You know what I'm grateful about this passage and about all our passage of life? This is not where the story ends. They replied, listen, as the king stood to his feet in verse 24, he leaped to his feet, the Bible says, in amazement, and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. And in verse 26, so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they came out of the fire. They saw in verse 27 that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair on their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Guys, an incredible scene. Because not only is hope alive in a valley of dry bones, but hope is even alive in a fiery furnace. 
What an incredible sea played out here in Daniel chapter 3. My favorite part of the entire text is that God did not deliver them from the fire. He got in the fire with them. Hey, let me teach you something about our faith. Our faith is one that doesn't preach that God will always take you out of the fire, but promises that no matter the fire we find ourselves in, God will always get in there with us. We may burn. We may not. But God will never abandon his children. God will never abandon the believer. God will never abandon his stand-up men and women and teenagers and children and families. In a bow-down world, he just won't do it. Just won't do it. I'm reminded this morning of a, a story I heard from the 1970s. The nation of Uganda in Africa was groaning under the terror of its leader, Adi Amin. And during that summer, during those years of his leadership, he persecuted the church in a way that had yet to be seen in Uganda. Persecuted believers all for the crime of following Jesus. There was a young pastor by the name of Pastor Kifa. And he loved his church and he loved his people. But fresh on that young pastor's mind was the face of a believer that was burned so bad it was beyond recognition. Fresh in the memory of that young pastor's mind was believers, young and old, being pulled out by guards and beaten to death in front of him. Fresh in his memory was the sound of soldiers' boots crushing the bones of believers. In a terrible hard time, and he saw what he should never have seen. Well, in 1973, in the spring, Easter was coming. And the pastor had a choice. I could bow, I could bend to idea I mean his rule and his laws. Or I could do what God called me to do. And I could preach the gospel on Easter. Oh, how his people needed it. So this pastor decided, you know what? I- I'm going to rent out the football stadium in town. And I'm going to open its doors to anybody who wants to come and to celebrate Easter. And that Easter morning, 7,000 people showed up to that soccer stadium to celebrate Easter. And there... Pastor Kepha preached the gospel, the good news that not only did God send his son Jesus to earth, but that Jesus died on a cross for their sins, that he emptied the grave three days later, and that he is alive and well. He preached with everything he had. Well, after the service there in the stadium, Kepha went back to his church. And as he walked into his church, Five of Adin Amin's secret police followed him in there with rifles. They closed the door behind him. They locked the door. They pointed their rifles at Kepha. And they said this, if you have any last words, you say them now. We are going to kill you for defying the Amin's orders. And here's what took place. Kepha began to shake. 
as he thought about never seeing his beautiful wife and his beautiful little girl again. He began to shake, but yet the Jesus inside of him gave him the courage in that moment to saddle up, the courage in that moment to act. And he began to speak, and here are his words. He said this, Do what you must with rifles pointed to his head. The Word of God says that in Christ I am already dead and that my real life is hidden with him in God. And he looked at those soldiers and said, It's not my life that's in danger, but yours. I am alive in Jesus, but you are still dead in your sin. And he prayed over them, May God spare you from eternal destruction. And the captain of that guard, that secret police there, shook his gun in his face and waited for what seemed like an eternity before he put his gun down. Moved by the bravery of Kepha, he ordered the rest of the guards to put their guns down. And he said, Pastor, Please pray for us. And in that church, with the doors boarded, locked, Kepha led five, all five of them, to faith and trust in Jesus. And his would-be assassins were now his brothers in Christ, who instead of taking his life, would spend the rest of their lives protecting him. You see what's amazing about that story is that Kepha was a stand-up man, a man in a bow-down world. You know what's amazing about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They were stand-up men in a bow-down world, and they remind me of somebody. All of them do. See, the Bible tells us in Romans 5.8 that God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You may sit sit here today and say, you know what, nobody's ever stood for me. I want to tell you there is someone who stood for you, and his name was Jesus. That in the darkest and the deepest parts of your sin, he stood for you before God. He took your sin upon himself. He stood in front of that cross. He endured the cross so that you might have life. I think of Jesus, and he did not compromise his purpose Amidst the pain he underwent, he did not cower in front of the cross, and he did not cave to what was convenient to him. Know this, church, you ready? We stand today because he stood for us. And thus inspiring generations of stand-up men and women, teenagers, boys and girls, and families. Stand up. Men and women in a bow down world. And so the challenge this morning is very clear. Believer, what are you standing on? Where are you standing? Where are you refusing to compromise, to cower, to bow, to bend? And maybe the more piercing question is, is where are you bowing and where are you bending? Where are you exchanging the truth of God's world for the convenience of fitting in with culture? 
Where are you refusing to stand for anything or stand for anything and thus falling for everything? You know, the truth is, is that as much as it was the call of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel 3, as much as it was their call to be stand-up men in a bow-down world, it's the very call that you and I have in Christ today. And what have you to fear? Do you fear the fire? Remember this. The great joy of our faith is He doesn't always deliver us from the fire. But He hops right in there with us. So fear not the fire of this world. Fear God. Be stand-up men and women in a bow-down world. Can we pray together? As we pray across the room. Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.